Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, and we have an awesome show lined up for you today. We've got Lance Lambert, who's the co-founder and CEO of Resi Club on the show with us today. Lance, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Zach. Been looking forward to this. I think you have a really interesting audience, and I think you put out really great stuff and good insights. Right back at you. I mean, I've discovered you on Twitter. You put out a ton of great charts and information for our listeners. If you don't follow Lance, you should absolutely go follow him on Twitter, and he'll probably give you a plug here in a minute for his newsletter, which I subscribe to, which I think is great because it's all about housing. But Lance, before we dive in and talk about what's happening in the housing market, can you give us just a quick 30-second overview of who you are, what you do, and how you got into this space? Yeah. So I'm Lance Lambert. I just founded Resi Club, which is a media publication and research company that really focuses on the housing market, analyzing regional housing markets, looking at home builders. We track the institutional companies closely, and then also following the new prop techs that are up and coming throughout the industry. I just left Fortune Magazine two weeks ago. I was the real estate editor there, former editorial director for them. I was there for four years, covered all different types of things in housing and real estate. And before then, I had worked at places like Bloomberg and then also at Realtor.com for a few years. And so every day, you know, tracking the listing data down to a metropolitan county zip code level, which has really helped me now as I you know, continue to cover the U.S. housing market, having a bit of a data background with them. Where I want to start with you is you put out about two weeks ago, a tweet of a picture of a letter that the National Association of Realtors and the NHB came together and wrote the Fed a letter. It was like a one and a half page letter directed to Jerome Powell saying, basically, hey, would you cut this out with all of the high rates you're wrecking our industries. Can we start there? I want to hear what you think about what they did. So we have just passed through the fastest rate hiking cycle in 40 years, four decades. And immediately right out of the gate, as soon as the Fed started hiking rates back in you know spring 2022, the long-term side of yields, the 10-year treasury and the 30-year fixed mortgage rate, we're on a bullet train up. And so the fixed 30-year mortgage rate went from 3% to 4% to 5% to 6% to 7%. And now it's at 8%. And the whole time up, the industry assumed once the Fed had gotten to its top rate on the effective federal funds rate, that the long-term rates and the long-term yields, like the mortgage rates, would begin to roll over. Well, it hasn't happened. And so not only has it not happened, but we have a historically large spread between the 30-year mortgage rate and the 10-year treasury. Normally, it's like 1.75 percentage points. And right now, it's almost three full percentage points. So given where yields are in the economy, a lot of people would expect mortgage rates right now to be at like 6.8, 6.9, 6.7. And they're just not there. They're up close to 8%. So I think right now what's happening is there's getting to the point where there's building frustration in the industry because they have been at the brunt of the Fed's rate hikes. And they've kind of taken it on the chin, at least when you look at like mortgage originations and the transaction side, especially for the existing home market. 
and they are really hoping to get relief and they're just not getting it. And I, I will say that if you look from a historical perspective, this isn't new, right? In 1981, builders were mailing the Federal Reserve and, you know, infamous Fed chair Paul Volcker lumber uh, because they were saying, you know, we don't need it anyway. And so they mailed it to the Fed as a form of protest. So it's not surprising that they would write the letter. It's not surprising that they would do it now at the end of the rate hiking cycle because they're pretty much saying, hey, no more. We've taken it. We played nice. You know, we went with these interest rate hikes, but we're kind of done with it. And then so of the three groups, Mortgage Bankers Association, obviously the brokers have been feeling it more because traditional refi is just completely gone. Essentially, it's down like 90, 95% because nobody's going to give up a 3 2% mortgage rate and take on a 7 or 8. The National Association of Realtors is one of the other groups that signed it. Theirs is a little bit different story. It's choppier based on that specific professional. And are they kind of close to builders or not? And then the third group is the National Association of Home Builders. And within them, they're very bifurcated, where the bigger builders who have the connections with lenders and have the huge margins they're able to do things like the buy-downs that keep transaction volumes and new orders flowing, while some of the smaller builders are both struggling with not having those connections and then also getting hit by the tightening of lending that's occurring throughout the economy, in particular since the Silicon Valley collapse. Tell me what you think is the single most interesting thing that's happening right now at the market, because Granted, there's a lack of supply. There's super high rates. You're hearing conflicting information about, hey, is it a seller's market? Is it not a seller's market? What's the Fed going to do? Like, That's probably the biggest question you're getting, which I want to get to in a minute. Yeah. So the most interesting thing in the market right now is that there is a massive headwind in the industry and there's a big tailwind. And they are both very powerful forces. And the headwind is the fact that affordability has deteriorated to levels unseen since the early 80s. When factoring in mortgage rates, household incomes, and house prices, this housing market right now is the most unaffordable of this century and surpasses you know, the height of the bubble in 06. So that's the headwind. And the speed of the shift going from an affordable market in 2020, and yeah, I know people in 2020 didn't believe it was an affordable market, but when you look at affordability measurements, it was an affordable market, historically speaking, to now where we are in a very, very unaffordable market, historically speaking. So the speed of the affordability deterioration and then the fact that affordability has gotten deteriorated as it is today. That's the headwind in the market. The tailwind in the market is that there's very tight resale supply. There's not much existing home inventory sitting on the market which is active listings, we're down about 47% September 2023 versus September 2019. So active listings, there are 47% fewer homes for sale today than there were pre-pandemic. And then the other thing is resale inventory coming up for sale. What's occurred is there's just not much churn in the market. Churn is gone. So people with two, three, four percent mortgage rates, the effective mortgage rates actually like 3.8, 3.6. They're just not selling their homes unless they have to. They're not going to give up that two, three, four percent and take on a seven, eight percent unless they have to. So the resale churn occurring in the market 
is people who, you know, debt, divorce, job relocation, things like that. So the tight supply is the tailwind and the deteriorated affordability is the headwind. And so how that balance of power plays out throughout the country is it's very different stories based on the markets, based on the price tiers, based on the product type. And so there are corrections still ongoing on price, and there are still some markets with weakness throughout the country. And then there are markets kind of in the middle that have, you know, just kind of held steady. And then there's other places where despite affordability getting so deteriorated, the confluence of relative affordability, take like a Rochester, where yeah, to locals, it's not very affordable, but to people from outside, like New York City metro, it is affordable. And so that relative affordability coupled with their very, very tight inventory has actually seen some of these places stay at price growth levels that I would consider almost like overheating. There are still markets today that are going to end up on the year up double digits for house prices. And there are those that are going to end the year down four, five, six, seven percent as well. What's your take on the Fed actually lowering rates in the next 12 months? Are you rates are higher for longer or do you think they cave? I think you have to kind of see how the economy holds is, I think, number one. Jerome Powell just last week, he insinuated at the fact that the labor market still has to cool, like they want to take some slack out of the labor market. Because if you don't take some slack out of that labor market, and yeah, you've decelerated inflation, decelerated the rise in consumer prices, or at least your interest rate hikes have coincided with the deceleration inflation. But if you walk away now and the labor market is still this hot, do you set yourself up for a place where inflation rears back quickly? And so I think the uncomfortable truth is that right now we're in a period where it's higher for longer. The long-term yields are staying high. The economy has been resilient. The labor market's been resilient. And yeah, inflation's down around 3%. But if you go and look historically, it's not uncommon to have inflation at 3 and mortgage rates at 8 It is possible. You know, that was the case in the early 2000s. So I think we'll see. We're going to wait and see, you know, where does the job numbers go from here? And does inflation continue to stay on its decelerating path? If you were to say, hey, this is what I think is going to happen over the next, let's say, 18 months, because I think a lot of people are thinking through things are going to change heading into 2025. And I'll preface this by saying, I feel like my prediction of what's going to happen with the economy, the housing market and builders and things of that nature changes like almost daily based upon the data and what we're seeing come out. But just today, looking at things, paint a picture for me of what you think is going to happen and what are the dominoes that are going to fall that are going to cause things to change in the marketplace? One of the things that is a huge trait of my work is I try to stay away from doing too many calls and predictions because I'm the person who is you know, bringing people together. I'm the journalist in the space, uh, trying to make sure that people have you know, a healthy amount of information and there's good flow and that you know, we fight narratives when it's needed because there gets to be a lot of consensus and I push back at it, often very gently. One of the things I pushed back at last year and is actually how I built my following on Twitter from 3,000 to 70-something thousand is that I called bullshit on mortgage rates not jumping and then coming down really fast. 
you know, I've kind of placed my eggs into a basket of there was going to be a big mortgage rate shock and we were going to hold for a while. And it has kind of played out. You know, it's been different than I would have expected. The resiliency where it's been has been very interesting. You know, how resilient the labor market has been despite the fastest rate hiking cycle in 40 years. And now actually it looks like even back then when I was kind of placing my eggs into that basket, you know, I didn't quite expect it to be this resilient and maybe rates to stay this long. And I think that has created more shock in the industry where it's like, oh, you know, is this something of a new normal, you know, this type of rate environment? But I think uh, some of the things the industry did wrong last year is that as rates were going from four, five, six up, you know, there was this belief that, oh, this is very temporary, right? When we went from 3% to 4% to 5 I remember people then in the industry being like, oh, this is very temporary. We're not going to be here that long. Fed's just got to get inflation moving down. And then we went five, six, seven, and then now eight. And I think the truth is, had consumers known everything they knew today, a year and a half ago, or a year ago, there would have been more transaction churn and more activity occurring over the past year. And I do have a few predictions here. One thing that I think is probably going to be true is that there will still be some corrections in the housing market down to a regional level and then sub-market level. You know, a lot of people like to talk about how this is the 1980s housing market and, you know, the 80s housing market, of course, you know, never saw nominal prices decline in a big way. And so there was steady growth up. But if you dig under it, what was true was that at any one given time throughout the 80s, about 15, 20% of markets saw falling home prices. It was just on a rolling basis, kind of rolling through the country, and there was some different regional bust and things that occurred. And so if we are moving out of this 20-year period where house price growth has been very national throughout the country, and we're moving back to you know more of the historical norm, which is more bifurcation, then I think we would expect more pricing bifurcation heading forward. And so my own statistical analysis have found that this current year is the most bifurcated housing market of this century in the U.S. What occurred this century, which is very interesting, is that heading out of the dot-com bust, rates got very low, there was a housing boom. And nationally, while not everyone was overheating like Austin and Las Vegas, Price growth was pretty much up everywhere, right? 06, 07 into the the bust, what was occurring was that, okay, markets pretty much everywhere fell, 07 to 11. And yeah, there were the places like Austin or some different places around the country here or there where prices didn't move down much, but they were still going down, right? And then we came out of that 2012 And essentially from 2012 through the middle of 2022, house prices almost everywhere were up year over year at that whole 10-year period. And then now we finally have 25% of markets down year over year, 30. And, you know, as we're starting to see some of the fall data roll in with New Orleans softening and San Antonio softening and Austin continuing to soften, Uh, there will still be some markets down year over year over the next year. And it's very possible over the coming years, there could still be some rolling basis of declines because affordability is so strained 
that some markets cyclically could roll over even if the national market continues to push upward. And so what I'm getting to is if there's not going to be a big release down on affordability, like prices have held firm nationally, despite us getting to this levels, then it kind of leaves room for that regional, you know, different regions hitting air pockets, right? And something triggering things to roll over, whether it be just enough supply comes into the market. Maybe there's a regional type of situation where the economy and one pocket of the country starts to lose steam quickly while the national market holds firm and the bond yield stays as high, mortgage rates stay as high. Then some of those markets could have rolling overs and corrections. You mentioned a minute ago that one of the things you're looking at is housing affordability. And that's one data point that a lot of people aren't talking about. What are some other data points, Lance, that you're looking at that people are not considering when they're assessing the current market and the climate of where things are headed? I think one very good thing to look at is builder margins and margins throughout not just home builders, but the companies that play along with them. If margins are high and margins are still above pre-pandemic levels for most of the builders that I track, the big boxes, that gives wiggle room. So if affordability takes a, a turn in a different direction or seasonality hits harder than expected, or like I said, one of these regional pockets goes into a correction, they have the margin to play, right? And if you have the margin to play, you can do the things on the incentive side that continue to hold transactional volume going. So I think that is very important. If I was somebody and I was worried about a recession, right? Because you know where we play in the content space, there's always a lot of people who are very bearish. And it's been easy for them to be very bearish because we've been in the fastest rate hiking cycle for 40 years over the past year. And so everyone is trying to figure out, like, can we actually pull off a soft landing? Can we make it through this? One thing that I watch like a hawk, if you Google residential construction employment, watch that. There has not been a Fed-induced recession that hasn't first seen that roll over hard. And so that's kind of the space that we play in, which is, you know, very resi, very construction. I think it's important to watch that number because while housing starts have come down a bit, while the existing side of the market has seen transactions fall to a place that's actually below the 08 crash period, residential construction employment has remained very high. We are actually very close to the cycle peak. And usually that has to roll over. And it's usually then six, seven, eight months later that the economy's in a recession. I think that's something to watch. And of course, also keep an eye on autos too. Housing and autos, the two rate-sensitive sectors of the economy. So if we're going to go into a Fed-induced recession, you would expect more pain in those parts of the economy, in particular on the employment side. You know, one thing that we track here is Google Trends as it relates to construction jobs. And one thing we've seen is that construction jobs, the amount of searches for that term specifically, whether it's construction jobs in a given market, or uh, we've actually seen a spike in virtual construction jobs. But we've seen the leading indicator of people searching for jobs and getting into construction is still very healthy, which combines with what you're talking about around construction and the amount of jobs in that space. Yeah, we continue to see resilience in construction employment. And you would expect if there were to be, you know, an actual Fed-induced recession that that would roll over first, is my theory. 
Lance, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking some time to connect with us and just share about what you're seeing in the market. If someone wants to follow you, they want to get on your newsletter, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So you could Google Lance Lambert and find my Twitter. And then on my Twitter, I have a link to resiclubanalytics.com. And that's where people can just drop their email and get the free issue. And the free issue is five days a week. So every day I'm sending out a newsletter, looking at the housing market, looking at home builders, analyzing earning reports, looking at metropolitan data, looking at county level data to see what's going on with house prices. So really it's you know housing, 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 if you want to stay up on the housing market. Lance, again, man, thank you for taking time to jump on the show. And for our listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, check us out at venvio.com slash podcast to subscribe and get more. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams. Thanks, everybody. 